This is episode 186 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today we talk all things intuitive eating with Evelyn Trebali, the co-author of the Intuitive Eating Workbook and the guru of intuitive eating. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going to Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist and emotional eating expert, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food method and founder of the Going to Beyond the Food Academy. Corporate executive turned health expert with my own journey with weight, body image, and food. It's now my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently right now and unconditionally. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Hello, sisters. How are you doing? So happy to be back with you this week. It is springtime where I live right now. May is that month of, of rebirth where the animals come back in nature and they fall in love with each other and we are creating new things. I'm so excited about this. And spring in 2019 for us at Going Beyond the Food is going to be all about shifting and shifting our day-to-day life, how we engage with food, how we engage with our body, how we engage with our health to a stand of empowerment. It's about giving you the tools in May and in spring to look at what you're doing currently and asking yourself, is that from a place of love or is that from a place of fear? Because when we think empowerment, it comes down to one thing. It's about giving ourselves the power to do, the power to be, the power to live. And that requires love. We can't empower ourselves from a place of fear. Because when we act and choose and make decisions in our life from a place of fear, it's from a place of believing that we aren't enough, that we aren't smart enough, that we aren't good enough, that we don't have enough discipline, that just afraid. So I want to help you through our guest in Maine, the topics we're going to talk about to move to that space where you are enough, that you know you are enough, that a space that tells you that you are beautiful enough, that you have the power to do what you want with your life right now, unconditionally. And when we talk about our main topic of discussion here in Going Beyond the Food, which is about body image, which is about weight, which is about how we engage with food, the month of May, in some of us currently in our life or in the past, meant dieting, meant getting back in shape, getting our body back, being bathing suit ready, beach body ready. Who's heard that? Who's currently in that now? Or just last year you were there, or maybe two years ago or five years ago. But right now around you, I would say that a vast majority of the women in your life are probably there right now. That's what's going through in their head. And to be quote, ready, they will employ dieting technique and dieting tactic, which are very disempowering. So 
I'm going to do everything that I can to put back the power in your hands so you can feel empowered and maybe empower other women around you. And the first topic I want to talk about is how we engage with food and how we can move to a space of empowerment when it comes to our relationship to food. And intuitive eating is the answer to that. Intuitive eating is not a diet. It is not a program. It's not a framework that will give you a temporary way of eating. But instead, it's about giving yourself the power to attune to your natural hunger, fullness, capacity within you that we all had when we were born. We all had this skill set and dieting restriction took it away from us. Intuitive eating is about being the boss of you. And yes, you are a grown up woman. You have the right, you have earned the capacity to be the boss of you. And that's what intuitive eating can do for you. So we're going to talk today to Evelyn Trabali. Evelyn is a dietitian and author of nine book. And she wrote about 20 years ago, the first book on intuitive eating, which is a self-care eating framework. We're going to teach intuitive eating within going beyond the food starting in the month of May. So stay tuned at the end of the episode. I'm going to share with you how you can learn intuitive eating with us. We have a special project that is going to start, but Evelyn also teaches it within her books, and she is the trainer of the professional. So that's who I learned from, and and you're going to hear us talk about that in the interview. She now trains professional on what intuitive eating is and what it's not, because I'm predicting here something big. Intuitive eating is rapidly growing. And I believe that that's going to be the next trend from the diet industry is to not diet and it's to teach people fake intuitive eating. And it's starting now. We're going to talk about that in the episode as well. What is intuitive eating and what is not? Because Evelyn is the guru of intuitive eating. So I'm very excited to be able to introduce you to Evelyn and her work that she's doing today. As of two weeks ago, she had certified almost 700 dietitian, nutritionist like me on the intuitive eating principle so we can teach it in the right way to you, our clients, our patients, and our listener here today. So very excited to present you this interview. We're going to talk about what intuitive is, intuitive eating is and is not, the 10 intuitive eating principle, the diet paradox, health at every size, and how we can awaken the intuitive eater in us. So stay tuned, listen to the interview, and then at the end, I'm going to share with you a very special project that we have here at Going Beyond the Food that you can join us into and learning intuitive eating. You ready? Let's do this, sister. Welcome to the show, Evelyn. Thank you. I'm honored to have you here as our guest for this episode. We've never directly talked about intuitive eating. And since I 
took a course with you at the beginning of this year around intuitive eating. I thought you're the best person to come and teach us about intuitive eating since you wrote the master book around it. So <laughs> thank you for making yourself available to our community. Of course. So I'm going to start with the very basic question. What is intuitive eating? Okay. Probably the, the most straightforward thing about intuitive eating, it's a, it's a self-care eating framework where you're the expert of your body and there's 10 principles. And then I can break it down at any, as many nuances as you want, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. That's, that's one of the first thing you taught us in the course. It's a self-care eating framework. And to me, that was revolutionary yeah. because dieting is the opposite of that. It takes us away from wanting to care for ourselves. So I think it is a phenomenal description. And I know self-love and self-care for all the ladies listening is a trendy word. Intuitive eating is the nutrition answer to that and how you feed yourself. Is that a good description? Yeah, I think it is. And it puts you front and center. Only you know how food tastes. Only you know what satisfies. But unfortunately, with dieting, it interferes with so much. There's such a profound disconnection. You could feel like you don't trust your body anymore, like you don't know how to eat. And that's the disconnect that keeps happening diet after diet after diet. Because what I find with women, and maybe you can help us understanding that, they kind of know what intuitive eating is. They don't understand the 10 principle, which we'll get through in just a moment. But for many people, it's scary. You know what? You're absolutely right. And I think it's important to own that and to recognize that, that when you go from a external plan of counting or whatever it is that you do, because the expert said you do it this way, and then to suddenly feel, it feels like you have no direction. It's like what? It's like giving an, a novelist a blank paper and, and to say, write the best novel in your life. It's overwhelming, which is why it's important to begin where you're at and where you feel comfortable, and we move gradually in the process. And one thing I love to say is you can't fail at intuitive eating. It's a journey of discovery. It's a process. You learn things. You might not like some of the learning but it's powerful, <laughs> you know? And that's why it teaches you way beyond the food. Yeah. It teaches yeah. you about you and who you are as a human being. That's right. And yeah. I, I think that's part why it's scary because society does not want us to know who we are, right? It takes us away from that. Yeah. And when you begin the journey of intuitive eating, you rediscover who you are. You truly do. You really do. And that's, again, that's scary. I've had women crying in my office saying, I don't know how to eat anymore. How can this be? I can tell you the macros and this and that, but because the connection's been, been severed and then the trust has been severed, but it's all, all so workable. That's the important part of the message. It's workable, you know? Do you think we should go through with the 10 principle and then come back to the angle of the diet paradox after? Do you want to go through the 10 principle first and people sure, have an understanding yeah, of what yeah. intuitive eating and then we'll let that carry us through discussion. But there is 10 core principle to become an intuitive eater. Yeah. And let me just say too, you know, I'm, I'm a co-author, Elise Rush. We, we, we came up with this together. We were dietitians in private practice, you know, creating these beautiful meal plans, only it wasn't working and we weren't feeling good and our patients weren't feeling so good either. And so we came up with these 10 principles based on our clinical experience, but also taking a deep dive into, into the research. So I can say this model is research inspired when it was first published, but now fast forward, there's over a hundred studies on our work showing benefit, which I find just incredible. Incredibly exciting. But let's let's jump into the 10 principles. So 
The first one is rejecting the diet mentality. And you know what's so interesting? Diet culture has gotten so sneaky. I now see people, they say, oh, I don't diet. <laughs> but they count and they cleanse and they do all these kinds of things. So I, I, we're going to actually broaden that in our next edition of intuitive eating to include diet culture, you know? I have a question for you. So yeah. let me ask this to you on principle number one. There is a trend right now on social media. It's hashtag keto intuitive or intuitive oh, keto you're kidding me oh or intuitive paleo <laughs> intuitive vegan like oh so you're the ex you created intuitive eating not created because it's an innate body wisdom knowledge but you brought it to the world what do you think of intuitive keto intuitive we vegan or paleo whatever we want to say can i just be direct Sure. The intuitive keto is bullshit. That's, that, that pisses me off because I think of the harm this does to people, you know? Now, when it comes to intuitive eating vegan, you can actually do that and be just absolutely fine. But when you get into these other kinds of things, oh, my God, you just lit me up. <laughs> it makes me so mad, you know? So let me ask you this then. So yeah. why can we do intuitive vegan yeah. but not intuitive paleo? Well, okay. Let me put it this way. We've gone from the beginning and now we're going to go to the very end. The last <laughs> principle of intuitive eating is honoring your health with gentle nutrition. And the reason it's last, you know, Lisa and I both have master's degrees in nutrition, but what we found is if we don't heal the relationship with food, if you start into nutrition, it becomes another diet, you know? So with veganism, what's changed now versus many years ago is at least in California and a lot of other places I travel, you can go almost anywhere and get enough food to eat. It's not a big deal, you know? So from that perspective, I don't see an issue with that. You can be in touch with hunger, fullness, and so on, and it doesn't cause weird things. But when you're on keto, you've got this keto fog, and the fact that our brain is supposed to be getting a bunch of carbohydrates a day, it's going against our very nature. And so, you know, it's funny, I don't use that amount of much profanity, but can I say a word? Oh, yeah, we, we've rating E, so we're good. Go for it. Okay. Thank you. So it's a mind fuck. <laughs> it's what it is. I don't know how else to describe it. Because then it's like, oh my God, it's not working. And here I'm doing this intuitive eating. Or if you do even with mindfulness, mindfulness is having the same problem intuitive eating is. And that is diet culture is co-opting the words of it. In fact, I have a colleague that was just quoted in a very big national magazine. Her expertise is mindfulness. And she was so disappointed how it got framed in terms of diet culture languaging. So I think it's really problematic. So you can have a preference of a way to eat. But when it becomes your religion, when it becomes your superior because you're eating this way, that's a real big problem. I've never seen such religiosity in eating before. And I think because there's a big gap or a big vacuum for a lot of people mm. in terms of their identity and their soul. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, what is missing in your life that you need to feel important because you're Miss Keto now or whatever the new trend is. And, you know, to keep my own sanity, I've, I have viewed fads and diets as fashion. Every year there's going to be a new one. And I swear, I think last year I didn't think it could get any worse. But now with keto, I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, it's upsetting because of the impact it has on people. It creates unnecessary suffering and, and disconnect, you know? Absolutely. And I think we are feeling the void of self-worth. Yeah, yeah. Through our way of eating and labeling ourselves through our way of eating. And I see that in our clients all the time is when they sh shed that label. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they realize that they were wrapping themselves around that as self-worth. Because in part, this body image issue 
tangled into this as well, right? Of course, yeah. But I want to challenge the intuitive vegan because I see some of those people as well who, yeah. once we give them the permission of dropping vegan, then all of a sudden they want to eat meat. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a segment of people who do veganism from a place of self-worth as well, specifically in the millennium group. You have to look at that. And so one of the things I love is what is the intention behind the behavior? You know, Mm -hmm. and if the intention behind the behavior is self-worth or I feel special or I feel better than you, that's problematic. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's all worth questioning, frankly, all of it. Absolutely. So we were at principle number one and we took a major segue. So we'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, as I go through these principles, I want to stress something. You know, when you write a book, you need to go in an order, but you can go in in any order that makes sense for you. So the second principle is honor your hunger. And it's, it sounds really basic, but basically when you hear your body expressing hunger and it can be expressed in many different ways, it could be a rumbly tummy. It could be emptiness in the stomach, or you might not feel anything there. It might just be a sudden mood shift. I love that term hangry. It's like, Oh, that's too hungry. You know, because if you don't honor your hunger, you're going to be preoccupied with food and thinking about food all the time. The third principle is probably the most misunderstood and controversial principle of intuitive eating, and that's making peace with food. And that's this idea that all foods fit. And the health professionals I train often in the beginning have trouble with this principle as well. But it's this understanding that when we talk about health, it's more than what you eat. It includes your psychological health, your spiritual health, all of your other stuff. But if you're eating and feeling that you are wrong or bad or guilty or less than, that's a problematic. So part of it is taking the morality out of food and then you just have the food and then you get to see, hmm, do I like it? Do I like how it makes me feel? If I can eat it whatever I want, do I really want it now? And there's, I call it the paradox of permission because when you have permission to eat, it changes the intensity and the urgency of which I have to have it. And it's probably one of my most favorite things to witness in somebody because they can't believe it. It's like, I didn't want the cookie. I can't believe it. Or it wasn't a white knuckler kind of experience. But that one takes a while. And if you're not nourished, you know, if you're just coming off of dieting, you might feel like you could be inhaling anything that you eat. So you might end up staying for a while on your hunger. Completely fine. This is not a race. This is not pass or fail. You know, it's discovery, discovery. I think this one is, so I shared with you before we started recording that I I didn't like intuitive eating on social media before you came to social media. And it's in part because of this one, having a nutrition background and seeing intuitive eating, which many of the listeners are seeing on on social media being portrayed as eating McDonald's every single day. And donuts. And donuts. Donuts is what I see all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That is not intuitive eating either. Yeah, I th- you know what, I, th- my, I have a theory on that. I think people are so shocked and so surprised that they can have this food that a lot of energy goes into it. And I do a lot of media interviews, and this is what ends up in the story because they can't believe it. So I think it's part of that. But the truth is, it includes a variety of foods, and it can be salad. You don't have to apologize because you're having a salad. It doesn't mean you went back into diet culture. Maybe it just really sounds good, you know? So... There's a lot of misunderstanding stuff on social media. It's driving me nuts, actually. (laughs) But that's why I'm there. That's why I'm there. And now she's so go follow her on Instagram, you're going to find her very easily. And I think this making peace with food comes back when you look at food beyond the food and you develop interceptive awareness or body awareness. Yeah. And you realize that the donut, maybe the first one tastes good, but the second, the third and the fourth, not so feeling good. 
Yeah, it's like, Meh. but see, when we, when we remove the judgment on it, you're left just with the direct experience. And you're right, it might taste good, but do I like how I feel? And the truth is, any food, even your favorite food, when had in repetition, the taste pleasure goes down a notch or so. And yes. then there's the physical thing. You know, frankly, I love the taste of donuts, but I don't like how I feel if I eat them as a meal. So I don't have them as a meal, not because I'm like this fantastic nutritionist, you know, it's just like, I don't like how I feel, you know? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so moving on, then we go to the fourth principle, challenging the food police, and that has to do with like, you can't be the boss of me. (laughs) That's my nickname of that principle. And it has to do with culture. It has to do with family, friends, anyone that's telling you how to eat. It's like, no. But then this also goes down to your own internal food police, you know, looking at the rules that you have and what ends up happening when people have rigid rules around eating and then they break the rules, often when that happens, it triggers some kind of overeating kind of phenomenon that goes on there. So I even tell people, you don't have to tell me why you have the rules. I just accept that they're there. It's like the more diets you go on, all of a sudden this food can't is not good and this food and this food. And it's like, who said? Who said? Mm-hmm. Right? So then the fifth principle is feeling your fullness, and that's pretty straightforward. But, you know, I have been seeing some misunderstandings around this. First of all, fullness is a normal biological response. It lets us know we've had enough to eat. You're supposed to feel full. I have seen some people think that if you eat till you're full, that means you overate. It's like, no, it's not the case. And what I'm always looking at is how long, especially if you're looking at a meal, how long did it sustain you? If you find you're hungry an hour or two hours after a meal, it's highly likely you're not eating enough unless you just like to graze all day long. And that's up to you, you know? So the sixth principle, you know, I always have favorites, but that, well, (laughs) you're not supposed to have favorites. It's one of my favorites besides, they're all really good though, but it's like kids, you're not supposed to have a favorite. It's discover satisfaction with your eating. And the reason I love this principle, and sometimes I start with it, it's pleasure-based. Like, what would it be like if you had your next meal and you were to aim for satisfaction? And first of all, what does that feel like to you? I can't tell you what that feels like. So it causes somebody to go inside in terms of, well, what tastes good, what sounds good, what texture do I want, and what also feels good in my body, you know? We call that making love in the kitchen in our programs. <laughs> that sounds very enticing. Right? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. want a full-on experience through cooking, both taking care of yourself, taking care of your body, but also creating food that are going to give you satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> so you can use that one if you want. Are you making love in the kitchen? I love that. Anytime we get into sex, it gets very interesting, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, I do call it the pleasure principle, so that makes even more sense now, too, right, with your analogy. Yeah. (laughs) And the other thing about the satisfaction principle that I like is it's actually a nice way to get into balance. You know, ultimately, when you overeat, it's not satisfying. And ultimately, when you undereat, it's not satisfying. So it's discovering what that sweet spot is for you, you know, and that takes a while. Traditionally, when we look at your Vedic medicine, for example, because we do holistic work, so we, we include like mind, body, spirit, and physical when you look at your Vedic medicine, it's the five flavors. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the meals that have the five flavors, the five main flavors, you don't need to eat as much because mm-hmm. you're being stimulated from all the part of your tongue, all the flavors. Huh. I love that. You see, you taught me something. I didn't know about that. Yeah. So then there's coping with your feelings without using food. 
And that's that's a big one. And depending where someone is in their journey, that can take a long time. You know, if you're someone where that was the only way that you know how to take care of yourself, first of all, we come from a place of compassion. You're doing the best that you can. But what happens with a lot of folks that I work with, it doesn't feel good. It's a temporary timeout, but in the long run, it doesn't feel good. And so finding ways to get your needs met without using food. And and the thing I want to stress here, some people want to vilify emotional eating. Of course, you know, if you're at a wedding, you're gonna have a piece of wedding cake. That's emotional eating. I've got no problem with that. I don't care if you're not hungry and you eat it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? But emotional eating can be the doorway of learning about yourself. Absolutely. In fact, related to that, you know, it comes down to what I call the two essential questions. And that is when you are engaging in that, well, what am I feeling right now? And what do I need right now that relates to that feeling? And a lot of folks I, I work with, especially women, they often don't feel like they're entitled to have needs, you know? And so asking, what do I feel? What do I need right now? Just asking that question can be therapeutic. So you're absolutely right. It, it, all of this is a doorway. Your relationship with food mirrors relationship issues in life, you know? And so if there's issues and struggling going on with there, we're going to see a parallel world with, with the folks in your life. That's at least what I, I usually see. The eighth principle, it's easy to understand, but it's much harder to do. And that's respecting your body. And I'll tell you, Elisa and I really worked a long time to get the verbiage right on this one because to say love your body was so out there. I had like, are you kidding me? They laugh. It's like, so we'd start with like, can you respect your body? You might not even like your body, but can you be be nice to it like you would treat your puppy dog, you know, or your or your children? And I actually use puppies as often more of a metaphor than I do anything else. Because people know what to do with puppies. You don't kick a puppy, you know? <laughs> and, and so from people's perspective, you wrote this book in 1995, correct? Yes, the first one? first one, yeah. Body positivity that we know today was not even on the radar. It was nowhere. No. Uh, there was some circles of therapists talking about loving yourself. But that wasn't getting very far at the time because it just sounded unrelatable, <laughs> you know? What I found clinically is that, and I'd love to have your opinion on that, Women come, my community come with 20 years of dieting and body shaming because the two come along, right? Yep, they often do, unfortunately. I've studied somatic work, so that to oh. me is trauma, right? So they're oh. diet trauma or body shaming trauma. Absolutely. Right? So we've done a yeah. lot of episodes on trauma, so you can go back and search through that. But they're traumatized. And then at the beginning, when I presented them with body positivity, the gap was so freaking big, they would give up. Yeah, because they can't even see it. They can't even imagine it. So now we talk body neutrality from the base of mindfulness. Yeah, yeah, I it's like that. It's more approachable. Yeah. And that's the thing. And one of the things I stress, you don't see this in the principles, but in the work I do with patients and clients, it's like, it's so important to be authentic. And you don't have to pretend to me you hate your body just because you're going to work on intuitive eating. If that's where you're at, that's where you're at. And we're going to find ways to move you closer to respect, you know? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. And that one takes a while. That takes a long time, a long, long time. So then there's the last two principles sound kind of basic, and in a way, it's almost an unlearning, you know? So with movement or exercise, how can you move your body in a way that feels joyful or feels good, as opposed to worrying about the calories burned and, and, and so on? And then the 10th one is honoring your health with gentle nutrition, which we just explored a little bit earlier. So, yeah. Can you expand a little bit more on gentle nutrition? Yeah. So it's fine to want to have healthy eating. 
the issue gets to be is when you define yourself based on that, you know, and I'm finding more and more folks with more of a slant toward orthorexia, which is not an official diagnosis, but it's somebody who's really rigid on, on eating healthy. They, they'll even say it's, it, they don't care about their body size, but their food has to be pure. It has to be clean. And if it's not meeting their standards, they don't have it. And so the irony and the paradox is they get unhealthy in this process. They're turning down social invitations because the food that they want is not going to be there. So the thing is, and what's so interesting is you're allowed to, you're allowed to eat healthy, you know? And I have people apologizing for it, like, well, is it okay if I eat healthy? And usually when they ask that, I always like to ask what's behind that. You know, what's the concern behind the question? And usually there's a fear that I'm going to go back to diet culture. And as long as we know what the intention is behind the behavior, we're going to be okay with that. You know, so what's the intention? Oh, you want to feel good. Oh, you want to get a little more fiber. That's fine. You're not identifying yourself based on that. And we can actually talk about ways to do it. And when I'm working with somebody on this aspect, usually what we're working on are things to add into their eating, you know, which is a completely different angle as well. Yeah. Yeah. Add to your plate way before you remove anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And doing taste experiments. Yeah. So in clinical work, I'm assuming that gentle nutrition, I approach it at the tail end of the program. I approach it once we got in tune with our emotion and mindfulness and and we've gone through those principles. Is that the same approach you're taking or you start sometime with gentle nutrition? And if not, why? It's, it's usually at the end. And if it's at the beginning, it's usually a clinical situation. So for example, yes. if I'm seeing a patient who has irritable bowel disease or they have celiac disease, I'm going to be doing some education up front in the beginning. But interestingly enough, I'm still connecting it to their body, connecting it to their body, connecting it to their body, you know, but usually the preference is at, is at, is at the end. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So can we talk about wellness diet? Because that's something oh, yeah. that's popping up right now. Yeah. And and to many is very confusing. So we have diet culture. So maybe explain mm-hmm. that. And then let's go into what wellness diet is. And I think it's okay. going to wrap up to everything we just talked about. Yeah, so diet culture is the fact that you you can have no intention on dieting or restricting your food intake, but because it's all around us like water is to fish, we're not even aware we're swimming in it half the time. I had a patient last week in tears because her minister was talking about some kind of fasting, not related to spiritual stuff, but they were going to be doing on his weight loss. Uh, I had another person come in and their professor at their university was talking about this is culture. It has no business being in this, in this place. It's in this, it's in the schools, you know, the doctor's office focusing just on weight. It's like, let's focus on behavior that's modifiable and sustainable, you know? So it, what it is, is that diet culture is so prevalent that people don't think twice about asking you about your eating or commenting on your body. And to me, and this is going to sound really crude, but I, I say this with my patients. So they get the point. <laughs> I'll say, uh, has anyone ever asked how much you poop today? And they're what? You know, it's like, oh, you know, hands fly up. Well, I, I say that's the same kind of respect or boundary I'd like to see come up if they're asking you about your body or, or about your body size. It's none of your business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but because diet culture has normalized these things, our kids are being exposed to it. It's in a lot, a lot of places. It's actually really shocking. Can I add to this? Because you're going to be shocked by this. Of course. So I attract a lot of highly spiritual individuals who want to do this work. And recently, I just had someone who was a spiritual leader teaching tantric classes of yoga, 
who was promoting body tennis and diet culture in her class. Oh my goodness. Like we're talking people that are highly conscious otherwise, but diet culture is so powerful that they're subconsciously repeating it. Well, and that's, that's actually a really good point because when you get it from people who are in position of power or position of respect, I find it's even more damaging, especially in a spirituality context. And I have a lot of, a lot of problem with that when people are in a position of authority. I understand individuals becoming swayed by diet culture, but when you're in a position of leadership and you're espousing it, you're really doing harm, you know? Because it disconnects you to your body and because your body connects to your emotions and other kinds of things, I will also say it's a spiritual erosion as well. You know who does a good job talking about this is Jenna Holstein in her book, Love to Eat. And it's, it reminds me basically of it. It's melding mindfulness with intuitive eating from a Buddhist perspective. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, one of the things I also look at and, and maybe this is my, my professional aspect, but like, oh, my God, stay in your lane. What training do you have? You know, but I'm careful as I say this because I have people in my profession, dietitians who are very diety, that, I, that are doing things that I think are unconscionable from an ethical standpoint. You know, the research doesn't support it. What's interesting with those folks is that when you explain the concept to them and you present it to them, there's a level of awareness and consciousness that brings them around the loop very easily. Like the, the transition happens quickly because they understand how much damage they're doing. I think that's true with, with folks like maybe in spiritual positions. But what I find in professions that have been taught this way, they have a blind belief in a paradigm. And the thing that's shocking to me and yet hopeful is I get this especially from dietitians. It's like, why weren't we taught this in school? You know, and I'm like, why weren't you asking more questions? <laughs> well, you know, I graduated from holistic nutrition. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Your book and your program is nowhere near the curriculum. Well, and the same in in many places of universities teaching nutrition, but I will tell you, it's starting to change. It's it, Well, that's, that's a whole other story. And, yeah. I, and actually, it's one of the reasons why I'm coming back into the profession, getting more actors, like I gotta go train my people. Yes, you do. <laughs> I have no problem with disagreement of research. But when there's a profound body of work, and then someone replies, I don't believe it, I'm like, this isn't religion, read the data, or better yet, you show me the human intervention study that shows that food restriction results in a healthy outcome, and it's sustainable five years after they start doesn't exist. So they don't have that data. Because diet don't work. That's what you just explained here with that quick statement. They don't work. And the thing that most people know that that also is just horrific, in my opinion, is when you look at the data, dieting actually causes more weight gain. The way that we know how certain that smoking is a cause of cancer, we see the same relationship between dieting and the cause of more weight gain, not just getting back the weight that you lost, but getting back even more. And so if your purpose is to lose weight, why in the hell are health professionals recommending food restriction? And just because it's been blessed by a doctor or a dietitian doesn't make it work. And that's what Elise and I used to do. And I thought we were I oh my god the stuff I could call myself out on do you know what I mean so I understand the learning curve I get it and I think we need to make space for professionals to cross on over and to see the error of the ways that it's hurting people but I'm seeing more and more physicians starting to embrace this when you look at the obesity paradox for example just that word shows the bias that they call it a paradox oh my gosh yeah you can be in a larger body and actually be healthier and survive disease states it's not a paradox it's a paradox if you believe that body size is the cause of disease So that's a whole other conversation. No, but I think it is right for you to go up. It's your mission because you brought 
that work forward and it is supported by science, that is the yes. only way to get through professional is science. And it's, it's funny, next week I'm actually debating a scholar Ooh. on the area of sugar addiction. And that's only in animal studies, you can create it. And not only if the animal's been starved for a certain amount of time, you know, and I think what you name something is really problematic, because the solution becomes different. If you're saying something's an addiction, well, then the solution is to avoid it. But if the cause is actually food restriction or dieting, then when you call it food addiction, when, when it should really be, it's a natural consequence of when you try and starve the body. It's like starving the body of air, it's going to gasp <gasps> really loud, not a polite little inhale, you know. And then you're going to crave it more. Absolutely. And the cravings are amazing. <laughs> They're very high. Yeah. But I think it's a representation of society because people do feel like they're addicted. They present, quote, symptoms of addiction. And the only solution that we have that has been, I don't want to say proven, but that works in society is rejection of that matter, that it is alcoholism or drugs. We don't seek to understand why people are addicted. They're like, just don't use it. That's the solution we're presenting. And in that area with drugs and substance, substances and alcohol, we're not required to, for life to have them. So you can actually do that. But food is actually required. And actually anything that engages the dopamine system, you know, the feel-good chemical, is because it helps us. You know, sex feels good because imagine if it didn't and we wouldn't have little babies and <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. And eating is supposed to feel good. And if you don't get enough to eat, you're going to be more focused on food as a way to get your attention to eat something for that brain, you know, for the survival. Absolutely. So let's come back a little bit on we are going to gain more weight from dieting. I think we yeah. went over that onto another topic, but I want to bring that back forward because you have the data that proves it. That is, as a case, my body shows it. I mean, 25 years of dieting, every time I gain more weight, that's because of what we call set point. Am I correct? Yeah, it's a set point and it's also a survival thing. And so, you know, I also agree that dieting and eating disorders, for that matter as well, it is a trauma on the mind and the body because biologically at the cellular level, the body thinks, oh, my God, she's trying to kill me. <laughs> we got to survive. We got to slow down that metabolism. We got to have her start thinking more about food. And it's it's really quite profound when you start looking at the research. You know, there was a, one of my favorite studies. They took 4,000 twins, 2,000 pairs of twins, and followed them for five years. And they asked the question, well, maybe people who diet and gain weight, they gain the weight because they're genetically predisposed. And what they found is no, is that dieting independent of genetics was the single most significant factor in a dose-response way of gaining more weight compared to the twin that didn't diet. You know, that's so, so profound. And then we start looking looking at weight cycling and what that does for health, not so good, you know? So we got to dismantle diet culture and healthcare. And that's, that's what I see so different today than when we wrote the first edition of Intuitive Eating. Before, it was just the dieting industry. Mm -hmm. But now when you've got health professionals saying, oh, you got to do it for your health, when the research doesn't show it, that's really problematic. And people feel the guilt and they feel the pressure. Well, my doctor says, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So we kind of began, and I know for the listener, I apologize, we're everywhere, but I'm just getting prompted by so many things. Yeah, right, right. We, we talked a little bit about wellness, oh, diet. Right, wellness diet, yeah. But I want to, because now it's triggering me to think about the health professional who are telling their clients or their patient that diet alone will heal their condition. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit with wellness diet. Yeah, well, let's start big. Yes. So the big wellness diet, and I think it was Christy Harrison yes. that coined that that term, it really talks about the fact that 
the dieting industry has gotten really smart. They're, oh, consumers are realizing dieting isn't cool anymore. So we got to call it something else. So now they'll say, well, do this for your health and wink, 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 you'll lose some weight in the process. But they keep, you know, framing it around health, 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 when it's actually, it's just a sophisticated way of dieting is what it is. So what's really interesting right now, there's a movement growing on with diabetic educators that are saying we've had it. This, there is not data support focusing on weight loss for diabetes. We need to focus on behaviors that can actually help manage blood sugar. And there's a big symposium that's happening in the, in the summer for health professionals to look at weight neutral ways to work with, with folks because it's not helpful. And what ends up happening is patients don't want to see their doctors if they're going to be getting lectured about their weight. And you know, here's the other thing. I can't imagine that a doctor went to medical school to be a mouthpiece for Weight Watchers or some diet program. It's like, really? You had all that training in biochemistry to say, go lose weight? (laughs) That's not gratifying. So as much as the diet industry will feed them, there's the pharma industry behind medical professional training that feeds in to this whole weight is a bad thing. And by the way, we've got a couple pills for you so you can hopefully lose some weight. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about health at every size. I know it is not your field, like Dr. Linda Bacon is and wrote health at every size, but I think there's the health intuitive eating and health at every size cross path. Oh, they they do very much so. In fact, we got really clear that we need to be in alignment with it, health at every size. So that's the way we describe it. And I think part of the reason I describe it that way, I feel more comfortable. It's like Elise and I aren't pounding the pavement doing social justice work because that's an important part of health at every size that we need to change the systems that are perpetuating this problem. And we only have so much energy. We can't do everything. So health at every size is basically saying, you know what, let's focus on health period. Let's focus on behaviors that are sustainable and modifiable. Weight is not a behavior. What would you tell somebody who was in a smaller body who had this same condition? So basically the way I like to boil it down to, it's about dignity and respect for all people, period, period. And there's a lot of misunderstanding as to what health at every size is. People sometimes think it's healthy at every size. It's like, no, that's not what it is. It's we move away from the weight-focused model of healthcare to the person themselves and behaviors should they choose to want to change them that might help in managing their disease or illness or whatever it is that's going on with them. So basically, it's about respect of the individual. I can't tell you the amount of women I've worked with that have been shamed by their doctors, you know, and then they don't want to go back. I had a woman that didn't want to go get her breast exam. And, and hey, so how long has it been? 10 years. Does breast cancer run in your family? Yeah. But she just didn't want to get that. And so we worked a lot about you have the right to not get weighed. You have the right to change the, com- all that kind of stuff. And that really needs to change. There's been actually research coming out how people are avoiding their doctors. That's number one. And number two, doctors are doing misdiagnosis. There was that famous horrible case in Canada. Hmm. I forget her last name. I want to say it's Ellen. Oh, but she died. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, go for it. Oh, my God. So it got my attention because her obituary said, please put this in my obituary, that I was feeling so awful. I saw all kinds of doctors. And the reason I'm dying is because they looked at my weight and they didn't work me up properly. So what ended up happening is she had cancer. And all the doctors would say, just lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. She finally got to a doctor that did an appropriate evaluation and said, oh, my God, you've got cancer. And she died like days later. And it was really a shame. And I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on her name. I'm sorry that I, but I actually called her sister who was, who wrote the obituary to get permission to talk about her 
in a training I was doing, she said, yeah, that's why she wanted this in the obituary to help spread the word. And I've been seeing it now in national media. This is a really profound example. You cannot tell by looking at somebody's body what health they are. There's a marathon runner, Shanti. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, but she got my attention because she was getting fat shamed during her all her training. She's doing 10 marathons this year and they're fat shaming her. I mean, it's it just, it made me so mad, you know? Yeah, so two things on this. We've had yeah. an episode on health at every size that I'm going to link in the show note. We're not going to go further into the details of that, but okay. would highly recommend that everyone listen to that. And then two, I just want to bring forward my own health and my own body. Mm-hmm. I am classified as overweight and I'm probably in the top 10% percentile of health because of everything else that I do. Like I oh, do health yeah. behavior, not just with food, with everything else in my life. So point of the story is, ladies, it can be for you as well. Diet is not the way and the only way for you to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fast road to not being healthy, actually. <laughs> you know? So let's wrap this up and saying, okay, Somebody's listened to this and they're like, oh my God, that's the solution I didn't know existed. How do we begin this journey? How do we awaken the intuitive eater in us? I love the way that you phrase that because we're all born with it. That's number one. And so we begin slowly and we begin with the bottom line is connection, connection to your body and connection to what is happening. So I find that most people, once they start the journey, they're okay with the idea of rejecting the diet. Do you know what I mean? So it's not so much an action step at that point. What I find it's important to identify whenever you see diet culture, it's like, oh my God, it's there. It's there. It's like, it's everywhere. But just beginning with the basics. I usually start people with aiming for satisfaction when they eat and then noticing how they feel before they eat, you feel pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, you know, in terms of hunger. And therefore, you don't have to go into, you can rate it if you want to, but this is the beginning way that I start it. And then when you finish eating, for whatever reason that is, and and there's fullness, how would you rate that fullness? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And if it's unpleasant, what might you do differently next time, you know? And if people really, really want to get into this and really, really connect, what I ask them to do is, would you be willing to set aside one meal a day in which you ate without distraction. That means no cell phone, no texting, no TV, no reading. And I'll tell you, that's getting a bigger and bigger of an ask. But in the beginning, when you're trying to self-connect, you know, our mind can only place awareness on one thing at a time. Behaviorally, we can do a million things, but awareness at only one. So you're going to miss out on some things. You'll miss out on the nuances. And I don't like to set it up as something you have to do. It's just incredibly helpful, you know, the more that you can do that. Yeah. So feeling the sensation after you eat, so feeling your satisfaction, your fullness, and also yeah. feeling your hunger. Yeah. And yeah. Those, those are the real, the real basics. And, yeah. and I want to say, so I have a 25-year history of dieting, which was part of my crash of health, but I have a vivid memory at the age of 12 when I was put on my first diet, Weight Watcher. Uh-uh. And I was, you know, they weigh you on Weight Watcher. I don't know if they still do that to I this day, but they, they have, do. you know, the old scale, they get you onto yeah. this. And I remember this, what at the time was perceived as the old lady, wanking her <laughs> finger at me saying how bad of a girl I was because I didn't lose weight that week. Oh my gosh. And then she looked at me and she says, you cannot listen to your hunger. When you're hungry, chew gum or drink water. No kidding. Oh my God. So how many women 
have disconnected from their hunger because of the dieting model to chew gum and drink water. Yeah. So, you know, here's another way too. So let's just say right now you're numb, you don't hear it. And the way that I sometimes an analogy, it's like hunger is knocking on the door and you never answer the door to hear the message of hunger. And after a while, it just stops knocking or you don't hear it. It becomes like the background noise, like a weed blower or something or lawnmower. Sometimes what I, I, I might have folks do if they're that numb is maybe look at the fact we know we need to eat every two to six hours to maintain a blood sugar and to feel good. And I would ask somebody, it's like, well, with your pattern of history and eating as you know it, how often do you think your body might need to eat to feel good? And maybe we start something like that. You know, we start with regular check-in times or just nourishing the body. And the more you keep checking in, it will happen. You will notice it. It will respond. Sometimes I tell this story. I used to, when I was training, I used to be an athlete. I'd go to my grandma's because she lived out in the country. And at that time, oh my God, she would eat dinner at 5 p.m. Who eats dinner at 5? I never did. But when I was there, so in the beginning, I wasn't hungry. But in the middle of the week, all of a sudden, it's 5 o'clock and I'm starving because we had jumped. You know, we do adjust. So, you know, the other thing, too, that might be helpful, too, we came out with the intuitive eating workbook because we kept getting questions from people like, you know, the book book is good. It inspires me. It's got case studies. It's got the science, but I need more how to. So that's something that can really deepen the work for more guidance as well. You know, absolutely. I'll link to that. in the Oh, show thank you. Yeah, well. that'll be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So I am going to wrap this up because it's been a long time already. We've been talking for 45 minutes. It's been an absolute pleasure likewise to have you here and you've helped i know by listening to this episode many women will get help how can they take the next step with you your book is your number one touch point right yeah i would say the books and i would start with the workbook first right now since we're going to be updating our other book books they can follow me on instagram you know we have yeah. a website and all that kind of stuff too so yeah perfect yeah thank you very much for your work thank you it's a beautiful life work and you are impacting millions of women so Thank you. Thank you for spreading the word. Bye. Bye. There you have it, ladies. Isn't she amazing? I love this woman. I love learning with her. And she's always a great source of inspiration. So I have a quick exercise for you. Grab your pen and a piece of paper right now. Hopefully you're not driving. So if you're driving right now, pause this and then come back. And we can do the exercise together. So I want you to write on a piece of paper, I love myself. Simple, right? So if you're a right-handed person, you likely took the pen in your right hand and wrote, I love myself. Now, if you're a right-handed person, I want you to put the pen in your left hand and repeat the exercise, right? I love myself. And the opposite, if you're left-handed, put the pen in your right hand and write, I love myself. How's the experience going? Probably difficult, right? It's challenging to attempt to write three simple words on a piece of paper from a hand that we normally don't write into. The experience that you just lived through right now, attempting to write from the opposite end that you're using, is how learning intuitive eating feels like. It feels very uncomfortable. It feels very abnormal. It feels awkward. It feels strange. Why? Because for the last 20, 30, 40 years, you have engaged with food 
in the opposite way. You have developed a set of skills to allow you to not eat intuitively, to control food. Learning intuitive eating is like learning to write from the left hand if you are a right-handed person. Is it possible? Totally. Anyone can learn to be an intuitive eating, intuitive eater. Anyone can learn to write from the left hand if you're a right-handed person. You just need practice. You just need to train yourself. Learning intuitive eating is the same thing. You need to unlearn what diet culture taught you. You need to unlearn the dieting habits and way of engaging with food. That's what we're going to offer in the Intuitive Eating Project. It's a five-week empowerment journey to move you from where you are today, irrelevant of where you are, to becoming and intuitive eating. We're going to talk about the 10 principle of intuitive eating, obviously more in depth than what we did today with Evelyn. We're going to do a bunch of exercise. You're going to have implementation guideline, going to have a support community, weekly call, a private Facebook group where you can reach out to me. So if you're interested in learning intuitive eating, join us. You can simply go to the show note. You'll see a link. You can go to our website, stephaniedozie.com slash intuitive eating. Join us. Now here's the treat. Listen carefully. For the listener of the podcast, we've given you a $50 off coupon. So at the point of purchase, there's a line that says coupon, enter these magic words, 50 off, 50-O-F-F, all in one word. And that's going to give you $50 off of the registration fee to this five-week intuitive eating project. I hope to be able to share this experience with you, the listener. Got a great show coming up next week. We are going to talk about She's Beyond the Food and what I eat on a day-to-day. We're going to talk about all about food. Very interesting episode. I love you ladies and looking forward to hang out with you again in the next show. 